0: Throughout Joseph's journey, he has overcome many trials, keeping his trust and faith in the Lord. When his brothers sold him into slavery, he continued to trust the Lord. When he was the chief servant in Potiphar's house, he continued to trust the Lord. When he was in prison, he trusted in the Lord. When he was raised to the second highest position in Egypt, he trusted in the Lord. And as Joseph approaches the end of his life, his eyes continue to be fixed on the Lord. In all the events of his life, Joseph knows that the Lord was the one who was sovereignly accomplishing his purposes. All of his dreams were never really about the dreamer, they were about the dream killer. The Lord is the ultimate dream. Hey, Crossroads, so great to have you joining us online. We're thankful that you're with us. Just so you know, we missed you. Uh, we can't wait till we can gather back together. It's gonna be an exciting time. Uh, pray for that moment. We're praying for your safety. We're praying for your protection. Make sure they're online, that you go and register. Let us know that you're there. And, uh, and also, give yourself a cool nickname, Uh, Give yourself a cool nickname and let us know who you are. Chat with us. uh, Keep us up to date. And always remember, there's a a place that you can pray. Uh, You can enter uh, that prayer and there's somebody always available. By the way, that's available all week. If you want prayer, you can go right there to our online campus and there's somebody ready and willing to pray for you. I also want to remind you, we do have our hashtag going. It's been awesome to see the pictures of families gathering. And uh, don't forget to hashtag... Crossroads at Home at Crossroads Wired. We love to have some pictures of you gathering together. By the way, this week, show us a silly picture. We want to see a a funny picture of your family gathering at Crossroads Online Campus. So take a funny picture, hashtag Crossroads at Home. We love to be able to see that picture of you. We've got a lot of exciting things happening. By the way, we are in a season right now of 21 days of prayer and fasting. I don't think there's any greater timing for us to really spend some time in focus and refreshment and re energization of Jesus. And so, this is a chance for us to be re energized, refocused, and refreshed in who Christ is by fasting from something. And so, we hope you've joined us. Make sure you have that guide and you're following along with each detail of every day where we set aside some time to pray for a specific detail. And if you follow that guide on our website or on our app, we're hopefully you're enjoying this season of just seeking after the Lord, of really. Fasting to focus on who Christ is. I also want to mention if you are looking to be a group leader or interested in being a group leader, right now our group leader applications are being accepted. Uh, We have a summer semester, a fantastic community plan. Obviously we don't know what it's going to look like exactly right now, but we have it planned. And you don't have to be a theological expert to be a small group leader. We're going to train you and show you how you can do that. So go to our website, go to communities, and uh, sign up, fill out an application. And we love to talk with you about leading a group. Whether that's electronically or technologically, or whether that's in-house if we're able to do that. And so we hope you'll have some group leaders that'll join us. Also, we are excited about Easter. Yes, it's gonna look a little differently, but we are excited about the opportunity that you have to really make a difference by inviting others to join us uh, technologically online through our online campus for Easter at Crossroads. Obviously, we wish we could gather together. We are planning to make sure that you stay safe, And we're obeying the government that's in charge of us by not having anything that we gather together. But we are having Easter online, both Good Friday and Easter. Our Good Friday service and then our Easter services, we've actually expanded the reach of those to be able to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take a look at this video that will tell you a little bit about what Easter at Crossroads is all about. Take a look. Crossroads, we hope you'll join us, invite a friend to join electronically on our online campus, Good Friday, 7 p.m., and then Easter weekend, Saturday at 5 and 7 p.m., and then on Sunday, we've multiplied the opportunities at 9 and 11 a.m., and then 1, 3, 5, and 7 p.m., we will have the online campus showing our Easter services, and so we hope you'll join us and invite somebody to be along with you. It's going to be a great time. We are excited about Easter at crossroads. If you want to take your Bibles out or your electronic devices and turn with me to Genesis chapter 50, Genesis chapter 50 and Romans chapter 8. Put your finger on Genesis 50 and then turn to Romans 8. We're gonna look at both of these passages together. If you're with us and you don't have a Bible in your home, let us know. In fact, let our host know that you need a Bible. We'll send that to you. We want to make sure that you have a copy of God's Word. God has spoken. We're going to walk right through the Scripture together, and so we want to make sure that you have a copy of God's Word. We're in this series that we've called Dream Killer, and we're journeying through the life of Joseph. We're going to wrap this up today, but we're journeying through the life of Joseph. What we find in the story of Joseph is a a roller coaster ride, if you will. From the very beginning, he is being groomed by his dad to take over the family farm. He was given a coat of many colors or a coat with long sleeves, but all of a sudden, he has two dreams. And these dreams signify that his father and mother and his brothers would bow down before him. His brothers didn't like it. And what we find after this happens is really the roller coaster ride, the hamster wheel of Joseph's life. He goes from privilege in his father's house to the pit that his brothers throw him in, to a position of authority as a servant in Potiphar's house to perjury by Potiphar's wife. Now he's thrown into prison, and while in prison, he meets a cupbearer. And he interprets the dreams of the cupbearer and the bread maker, but he's forgotten about. And so he goes from the privilege of his father's house to the position of Potiphar's house, um, to, to father, to Potiphar, and now to prison. And the cupbearer sets him aside, pushes him aside, forgets about him. For two more years, he sits in prison. And then finally, Pharaoh has some dreams. And Pharaoh says, I need someone to interpret the dreams. And then the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And Joseph comes out and interprets the dreams. And then he believes life is just going to happen because now he's given the position of the prime minister of Egypt. He is the second in command of all the nation of Egypt. And he says, forget the dreams. He names his son Manasseh, which means forget those dreams. Forget my father's household. I am good, things are well. And it's in that moment that God sends his brothers to Egypt because of the famine that's in the land. We talked about last time that God is the dream killer, that in the end, Joseph realizes that these dreams actually died by God himself, that God killed his dreams only to bring about a greater good. God killed his dreams to bring about a greater purpose. These dreams that God implanted, these dreams that God inspired had to die first. And we talk about how what God does is kill our dreams to pry our fingers away from the things that we hold more dearly than him. That God pries our fingers away from things that hold us back from him. That God kills our dreams so that only he remains. Now in the beginning of the series we said that we are taught at a very young age to chase our dreams, to pursue our dreams, to go to go after our dreams. I want you to think about this phrase that we use. You see it in a Disney movie. Uh, you, you see it in Hallmark movies. You see it played out. Every Hallmark movie ends with this idea that we live happily ever after. I mean, isn't that the end of every dream? Is that we want to be, be happy? And so if you're single, maybe, maybe you're in your life, you're looking for that one. You're, you're anticipating that marriage. Maybe for you, it's, I can't wait to have kids, and you're looking forward to the day where you're gonna have kids, and they're gonna be running all over the place, and so there's this dream, and you just think, if I have kids, I'll live happily ever after. Or if I just had this house, or this car, or this possession, or if I had that house with the white picket fence, the American dream, right? Then all of a sudden, I will then live happily ever after. If I just had that job that provides more. We're looking for things that will allow us to live happily ever after. We're looking for something to satisfy and bring us happiness in life. I remember doing a wedding uh, years ago. I was officiating a wedding, and it was a beautiful wedding. I mean, just beautiful, huge wedding. A lot of people there, and uh, there were a, a pretty big bridal party. And in the middle of the wedding, the best man actually passes out and, like, hits his head directly on the floor. So here we are in this beautiful setting, this beautiful wedding is happening, and the best man passes out. During the wedding, and so I always warn people, hey, you got to make sure your knees are bent. It it, it can get hot. It can get nervous when you're up there. If you're not used to being in front of people, and he just goes out cold. And afterwards, I told the couple, I said, you know, that's actually a lot like life. Like like you come into this wedding, you think this is going to be the happily ever after moment. We're going to get married. We're going to have this perfect life. No, what's going to happen is at times you're going to fall on your face. You're going to fall on your face at times. This is the story of Joseph. I mean, what you would think at this point in the story is that they live happily ever after. I mean, he's figured out he's been faithful to God. He's figured out that God killed his dream only to save the nation, to save God's people, to save Egypt, to save the world of that day. And yet we come to chapter 50 and this story isn't done. What what happens is Joseph sends for his father and his father's family and says, hey, why don't you come to Egypt? Pharaoh, in kind, and this is out of respect for Joseph, gives them the land of Goshen. Goshen was a fertile place, a place where farmers would dwell. It was probably the most fertile place in the Egyptian empire. And they give them this property in this land. And eventually, Jacob, Joseph's father, passes away. And his brothers are nervous. Now again, you think this should be happily ever after, but it doesn't end here. When we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 50, we'll begin in verse 15, we see this takes a very interesting twist. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So now they're thinking, he's going to get back to us. So they sent a message to Joseph. Now I find this funny, they don't go to Joseph, they send a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil against you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came And they fell down before him and said behold we are your servants so here his brothers now come they send a servant with the letter and now they come and they bow down before him but joseph said to them do not fear for am i in the place of god as for you you meant evil against me but god meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today so do not fear i will provide for you and your little ones Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Here they do. They come to him and they say, please forgive. They sent a servant with a letter saying, please forgive, just as our father wanted. Then they come to him and they bow down before him. I want you to think about this for a moment. This is the fifth time in this story That the brothers actually bow before Joseph. Remember the dream at the beginning? The dream at the beginning was that the brothers would bow down before him. That father, mother, and brothers would bow down before him. This has now happened five times. In chapter 42, in chapter 43, in chapter 44. It happens twice in chapter 43. And now in Genesis chapter 50, they come before him and bow down. This is uh, uh, beside the fact that all of Egypt bows down before Joseph. But now his brothers have bowed down five times. You would think... If there was any moment where Joseph would say, all right, guys, I got you. All right, guys, finally the dream has come true. You've done it more than once. You have bowed down before me. See, I told you so. I mean, right, he was a little brother. He could have said that. See, I told you guys. You would bow before me. If it, there was ever a moment where he had them, his father is dead. He, he doesn't have to show honor now publicly. He could, he could take them captive. He, 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 could, he could say, see, what God has done. By the way, it wasn't a God who gave him the dream anyway. He could have said, this is the moment. But Joseph doesn't. Joseph realizes something deeper. We've been looking at this all through this series. Joseph says, for am I in the place of God? What you meant for evil, God had a plan for it. Am I in the place of God? Does my dream stand in the place of God's plan in this moment? Does my dream stand in the place of God? Now now there's two ways of looking at this. First of all, Joseph understood what this, this dream wasn't meant to be, or what dreams really become without even meaning to become. In our lives, dreams can kind of take two turns. First of all, dreams can become a chase to find my place. See, when we first are given dreams, and those dreams about life that we have, about marriage, and job, and house, and whatever it is that you would dream about, whatever it is that we desire, it really is a chase, it's a pursuit to find my place in life. When we talk about the American dream, it really is a pursuit to find our own places, to really focus on us, on me, on mine, or what I want. Think about it, why do we get married? We get married not to serve somebody, we get married for them to help us. Why do we have kids? That's a deep question. Well, why do we have kids? We have kids not just so that we serve them, We have kids so that we carry on that name, that we have this relationship that goes on. We have these kids really for us. Why do we get that job? Why why do we we want this money? Why do I want this possession? Why do I want that car? We want it for my place. I I, I use the dreams to chase after my place. It's about me. By the way, I I find it interesting. I read this book uh, a while ago called The Real American Dream. It's by a man named Andrew DeBlanco. And uh, he talks about this idea of where do we find our purpose? Where do we find and what do we do to really gain that purpose? And he went through history. It's really a history book, and he goes through this history of the real American dream. And he talks about that in the beginning, when our country was founded, it was founded on the dream of the glory of God. This is the reason why uh, we escaped uh, Great Britain. The reason we escaped England was the whole idea of freedom to bring glory to God. And then it was built on that premise. And somewhere around the 19th century, it began to change where the nation, the U.S., took the place of God. Now, where where now uh, national pride trumped God's glory. And so now it was all about nation. It was all about the goodness of the nation. It was all about the nation being good more than the glory of God. Then he said over the last few decades, it has actually shifted it has shifted from God's glory to the nation, national pride, to now the American dream is all about self. It's a very fascinating read. It's all, about, it's all about self. It's all wrapped up in what we want. It's all about our happiness. And what he goes on to conclude is that this will never make a society last, that a society will fail if it's built on the unsatisfying pursuit of self. That even Pursuing a nation is greater than pursuing self, because at least in the end, there's unity. So here's the point. Whether you have small dreams or cautious dreams or big dreams, there's always an ego question at work. There's always an ego battle that's happening inside of us. There's always something that we're looking to find that will give us our place. So what do we do? We use situations, We used experiences, we used relationships to get what we need. Marriage, family, our singlehood, our availability, our degree, our job, right, it's all about us. By the way, it eventually becomes manipulation. We use these things, our our situations, our experience, our relationships to manipulate what we want. What happens? Dreams are a chase for my place. Joseph battled that in this story. Secondly, dreams leave us with unbearable pressure. So these dreams, if we're all about us, now leave us with unbearable pressure. Joseph felt the unbearable pressure of this dream. Yes, it was a dream God had given him, but it was a dream that became his own. And he wrestled with this. Now, he did rightly, but he wrestled with this. Pursuing our dreams... Is like the hamster wheel or, or like the merry-go-round of life. You know how you get on those merry-go-rounds? I remember when I was a kid and we would be pushed and, pushed and pushed and pushed as fast as you can. What happens? The force makes it difficult to hold on to. And for some of us, the dreams we have about life is leaving us with unbearable pressure, with immense pressure. We have the high pressure of chasing our dreams. By the way, I have felt this in my own life before. I mean, let's take an example marriage. I have a fantastic wife. She is my best friend. She is my greatest encourager. Uh, she also keeps me straight at times and reminds me of what, what, who God is and what he's doing in my life. She's my biggest cheerleader. She's my greatest encouragement. She is, I call her, baby love. And I'm thankful for the wife that I have. But can I tell you, there have been moments and seasons where the pressure of trying to make this work was unbearable. There have been moments and seasons where the pressure of trying to make sure this all is perfect and this all is put together. And, and when you have two people that are sinners trying to make that work, it doesn't always happen that way. And so what happens? The unbearable pressure of making sure the marriage is right can be it can be quite exhausting. And we have a great marriage, but there have been seasons where it has been exhausting, and we've had to work through that. I take, for example, being a pastor. Um, I am, if you like personality tests... Uh, we talk about here at Crossroads a lot, the Enneagram. I'm a type three on the Enneagram. And so the achiever, you know, the kind of go after it, that's who I am. I, I like to go after things, uh, success, those type of things are big for me. And one of the things a part of the type three personality is, is I hate to disappoint people. By the way, one of the reasons I got into ministry, one of the reasons I felt that God called me to vocational ministry is to love people well. I, I love people. I love being around people. I get energized by people. And I hate to disappoint people. I I, I want people to like me, and what I've learned in pastoring, uh, pastoring two great churches, serving in three great churches in in my ministry life, I've learned that doesn't always happen, and what's hard as a pastor is you feel like you do the right things, you strive to live with integrity, you strive to live doing rightly, but what happens, there's always somebody that doesn't like it, there's always somebody that doesn't like it, by the way, I know being a pastor of a large church, there are times where you'll hear a story and you're like, well, that story isn't even true, like, that's not how it happened. Uh, not anything bigger or, or grand, but something small. And you're like, man, where do they get that at? And it can become a place of unbearable pressure. Being a pastor, your, your job, whatever it is, it can be a place of unbearable pressure. Why? You want to succeed. You want to do well. You want people to like you. You want to be accepted. And what happens, the unbearable pressure can begin to weigh you down. I think Joseph, in this story, felt this over and over again. It's not happily ever after. It's frustration. What it leaves us is our life story feeling like a string of befores and afters or can'ts and didn'ts and won'ts and shouldn'ts and haves and why didn't I's. Well, you leave us in life questioning what's really happening. I want to see what Joseph does here at the end. Joseph here sees a great change in perspective. Throughout the story, we see Joseph really growing in his perspective of who God is the curse that began in Genesis 37, now becomes a perspective about God. What he realizes is this dream isn't about himself. What he realizes this dream is not the pressure that he's putting on himself, that this dream really is about God. That's the point. God is the hero of every dream. God is the hero of this story. God is the hero of every story. God is the hero of our dreams. Think about what he says here. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? This is a moment he could have said, yes, bow down to me. No, he says, I don't stand in the place of God. Bow down before him. What you meant for evil... God has turned for good. God is the hero of the story. By the way, when you read the scripture, God is the hero of every story. God is the hero of every dream. God stands in his place above all that he gives to us. Every dream, our marriage, our house, our kids, our, our jobs, our hobbies. God stands in the place of every dream. That's the question we have to ask. God stands in the place. I want you to think about the implications of this. The brothers did evil, God does good. Potiphar's wife did evil, God does good. The cupbearer did evil, God does good. See, Joseph ran right into the sovereignty and providence of God. Even though it was silent, he came to know that it was perfect. Now, I want you to think about this. This means the implications are that God worked at the right moment. I mean, at just the right moment, his brothers threw him into a pit. That's what Joseph is saying here. At just the right moment, the Midianites came along and the Ishmaelites came along and they took him and sold him as a slave to Egypt. Just at the right moment, he was sold to Potiphar. Just at the right moment, Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. Just at the right moment, he met the baker and the cupbearer. Just at the right moment, the cupbearer forgot Joseph, but then remembered him later on. At just the right moment, Pharaoh called for him. At just the right moment, he was promoted to prime minister. At just the right moment, Jacob sent his sons to Egypt. At just the right moment, the brothers met Joseph. At just the right moment, Jacob's family moved to Egypt. At just the right moment, Jacob died. You see what happens in this story? All of this happened at just the right moment, in just the right way, so that just the right people would be in the right place, so that in the end, God would accomplish his plan. There was nothing here that Joseph could leverage for himself. There was no way that Joseph could have gotten himself as a prime minister of Egypt. There was no way a Hebrew boy would have become the prime minister of Egypt. But what did God do? In just the right time, in just the right way, with just the right people, God moved in Joseph to get him to that spot where God would get the greatest glory through his life. I love the way Charles Spurgeon described this moment. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. He says, God is to be seen in the smallest details of life. God is to be seen in the smallest details of life. I want you to think about that right now in your life. There is not a single time where God says, oops, There's not a single time where God says, "Uh uh-oh. There's not a single time where God is taken by surprise and says, oh, man, I messed up. Knowing God's hands, even intended evil, becomes eventual good. Or let me state it another way, that God allows evil to happen, allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. I want you to think about that. That God even allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Now think about this in your life. He can put you exactly where he wants you to be in this moment. He can arrange all the details years in advance... He can open doors that seem shut tight. He can remove obstacles that seem to be in your way. He can take your choices and fit them into his plan that you end up at the right place at the right time. He can even take your mistakes and bring good out of them. He can even use tragedy, viruses, to be used for his good and glory. The question we ask, the question that Joseph begs us to ask in this story, Is do I trust myself or do I trust God with the details of my life? That's the question. Do I trust myself or do I trust God with the details of my life? What we find from the beginning of the story to the end of the story is that God is reshaping Joseph's thinking, God is reshaping his view of his dreams, God is reshaping the way he thinks about his purpose. You know, a lot of people, when they talk about the story of Joseph, they consider it to be a story that intersects God's sovereignty with human responsibility. And it's true. It's there, right? God's sovereignty and human responsibility intersect in Joseph's life. But can I tell you, this story is deeper than that. Because I believe it highlights how God's providence and sovereignty really secures God's promises. I want to show you how this is played out in the New Testament because we see this. That God's sovereignty, God being the hero of every story, God's providence that he cares about us, actually secures for us his promises. It reminds us that in the moments our dream dies, God is working his promise through his purpose in your life and in my life. And in fact, flip over to Romans chapter 8. I love this passage. It really gives us a picture of, of God's working. It gives us a 30000 view. In fact, Romans 8 takes us to God's throne room and gives us a perspective of what God is doing. We go from earth, actually, to heaven and see a perspective of God. In fact, one author says, this passage is the soft pillow for a tired heart. It's a well-known passage. In fact, it has one of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible. you find it on shirts and coffee mugs. But I want to read the context for you. Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. He says, The, the sufferings now aren't worthy to be compared to the glory yet to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealings of the sons of God, for creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, waiting for the moment where God will finish his work. He says these sufferings are leading to glory, but in the meantime, creation is groaning. By the way, it goes on to say you and I are groaning. We are groaning in this season. So so there's suffering, there's difficulty, there's the question mark, there's dreams that are dying, yet there's glory yet to be revealed. In the meantime, we groan. Now skip down to verse 22. We see this description. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth and now. So he, he de- describes this, Paul describes it like childbirth. And the creation is groaning. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So you and I are holding on to hope that this day will come where this will be undone. The groaning will cease. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Spirit himself groans with us. But it's too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows whether it's the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, and here it is, the main verse, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Jo- Joseph's story, here it is. For those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, how did Joseph shift perspective from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50? And how does this connect to you and I's life as we see dreams die? As we have God kill our dreams to bring about a greater purpose. I want to share with you a few things to consider. Number one, and we see this as we put God in the proper place, recognize that God is exchanging our implanted dreams, our earthly dreams, for a divinely inspired dream recognize that God is exchanging our dream. Now, I love this, this passage, and of course, this verse I, I love. It's a promise, This promise that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to your purpose. By the way, notice verse 28, it's only for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so, it's for those who put God in his proper place. It's for those where we say, do I stand in the place of God in our dreams? It's not those who are pursuing their own dreams that we see this. But God works all things together for good to those who love God. We as believers, we are called according to his purpose. So he says God works all things together for good. Then he describes the process. And what we find is God exchanges our dreams, our implanted dreams, these dreams that lead to groaning, and he exchanges them for inspired dreams. This is the perspective that God has about our life from eternity past to the future. By the way, notice Paul here in this passage doesn't make an argument to say, hey, here's Calvinism, listen to it. He's not trying to show us anything deeply theological necessarily. He's trying to give us assurance in seasons we don't understand. In the midst of suffering, he is trying to bring us assurance. He's not just trying to make a theological argument, he is making an argument of assurance. However, there's theology in here. Notice what he says. How do we know all things work together for good? How do we know this will work? Notice verse 29. For those who he foreknew, notice the description, he knows, God knows, he foreknows. He foreknows your life, he foreknows my life, he foreknows our situation, he foreknows our redemptive plan. He knows us beforehand. Secondly, notice not only does he know, but it says for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined He chooses. He knows, but he also chooses. Now, this is where we always get caught up in this passage. It's the Greek word parizomai. It means he chooses beforehand. And we get messed up with that because we think, well, wait a minute, predestined. By the way, it is in the Bible. We just read it. It's not some foreign word. By the way, no one would have read this and skipped a beat when they read this in their day. What did Paul mean by by choosing? When we think of choosing, we think of somebody on a team and you pick this guy to play on kickball, your kickball team, but you don't pick this person or you pick this person to play volleyball, but not that person. And so we think about it from who's not being picked and who's being picked. But God does it a little bit differently. And I'm not going to go into this in great detail, but God chooses. Now, I want you to think about this. God is in charge, sovereign and provident, over what happens, when it happens, how it happens, and why it happens, and even what happens after it happens. God is in charge. He's sovereign and provident. This is also true of all events in every place from the beginning of time. He does this for our good and his glory. So for the beginning of time, he knows all that he's doing. He's outside of time. He's not bound by it. He is not the author of sin, and yet he allows evil to serve his purpose. He does not violate our free will, yet free will serves his purpose. We're not supposed to understand all this. We just are supposed to believe it. God predestines. Notice what he says though, he gives us a direction. He says, for those who he foreknew, those he knows, he chooses, he predestines, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Look at the the text, it says, you are predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son. See, the work of God, the purpose of God in our life is to conform us to the image of his son. And so based upon that, what does he do? He calls. Those who predestined, he also called. Then those he calls, what does he do? He saves. He justifies them, he says you are right, he declares us right, and then it says he glorifies them eventually, he completes the work. He, he, he starts the work in salvation by justifying us, he completes the work by one day making us like Christ. I want you to get this, I know this seems theological, but this is really a, a moment of assurance. You feel in your life your dreams are dying. You feel in your life that happily ever after is never coming. Why? Because you're, you're, you're looking for a dream that will never satisfy. A dream that's focused on stuff that leaves you with unbearable pressure. But when you understand the purpose and dream of God, what happens? It changes everything. God's dream is what? To conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. He knows you. He chooses you. He calls you. He saves you. And he makes you like Jesus. So think about the freedom in that. Think about the freedom. What God does is he takes our earthly, implanted dreams and he exchanges them for a greater dream. What is the greater dream? We get to be like Jesus. The greater dream is that we get to be like Christ. He exchanges our earthly dreams that leave us with unbearable pressure and a focus on self and brings us to a dream of glory. You and I are called to live a different dream. You and I are called to live in freedom of that dream. That he is doing a work to make us like Christ. You know what that means? If you're single, how is your singlehood making you like Jesus? If you're married, how is your spouse helping you become more like Christ? When you have those kids and they don't always listen, how are they helping you become more like Jesus? As you're you're schooling them at home, as the teachers are sending work, how is that helping you become more like Christ? When we get those possessions that God gives to us, and maybe it's a good job and money and retirement plan, how are we using that? How is God using that to make us more like Christ? That's the greater dream. That is the greater purpose. He exchanges our dream for a greater dream, and that dream is that you and I get to be like Jesus. Can I tell you, in my marriage, that has saved me greatly. It has saved me greatly in my ministry. It has saved me greatly in my fatherhood. Why? Because in those moments where I just want to take control and I want to to stir the dream for myself, what happens? I ask the question, how is this making me like Jesus Christ? How is God exchanging my dream of life for a greater dream of glory? Number two, he calls us in this passage to find hope in the fact that God is reshaping our dream To match his will. If you go back just a few verses, notice he says that we're groaning, but in that groaning we find hope. Verse 24, for in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not seen, for he who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We groan, but we groan with hope. Why? Well, he goes on. Because we have a spirit who is interceding on our behalf. Verse 27. He's interceding for the saints according to the will of God. Here's a picture. I can find hope in the fact that right now, as God is working his plan, I find hope in the fact that he's accomplishing his will. As I understand God's work, he is reshaping my thinking to find hope in the fact that he is matching his will to this dream of me becoming like Christ. He is reshaping the dreams of my life to accomplish his will. See, for you and I, many of us, we go back and forth on these dreams, right? Okay, I want God's purpose, but I want this dream. I want this dream, but I want God's purpose. This is why God has to kill the dream, because our dreams collide with God's plan, with God's will for our lives. People ask, what is God's will for your life? Can I tell you, this passage tells us God's will for my life is to become like Jesus. And so that means I've gotta let God take those dreams Kill those dreams. Now bring about his will, which is to make me more like Christ, to reflect him all the more, that even in the midst of my groaning, I'm accomplishing God's purpose. I'm accomplishing a greater dream. Number three, in the moments we don't understand, pray honestly and surrender willingly. Now I want you to see verse 26. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us. I love this verse. The Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit helps us. For we don't know how we ought to pray. There's times where we just don't know. Well, what happens? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts know what is the mind of the saints, the Spirit, and he intercedes according to the will of God. In moments we don't understand, pray honestly, and surrender willingly. See, for many of us, in our season of life, we come to God and we say, God, I need you to support. God, I need you to help my dream to become true. I need you to help this reality. And what we do is we make God a genie in a bottle. We make God a genie in a bottle that's there for our wishes. What we find here is, God, I don't know how to pray, but I'm surrendering. And what I'm asking is your spirit to intercede on my behalf. By the way, the, the Spirit intercedes, he takes our request and says, Father, here's the will, here's your will, let me help connect it to them. And he connects the will of God to our lives. We pray and the Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings which cannot be uttered. See, we don't enter prayer as demanders, we enter prayer as thankful recipients. We enter prayer saying, God, you have a plan. God, you know what you're doing. God, I have these dreams, but I trust your dream better than these dreams. And so God, bring about your purpose and plan in my life. I love Proverbs 16.9. It says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Pray honestly, but surrender willingly. God, I don't just want your support. I want my surrender. I want to surrender to you. And then lastly, live with the end in mind. Live with the end in mind. You know what Romans 8 does? Is He takes us to the throne room and shows us the perspective of God. And and God then says, Paul writes, now live from this perspective. Live from the perspective that in our difficulties, in the moments where it seems that dreams are dying, in the moments where it seems that life is unbearable and it's pressure, it doesn't seem to be going the way we want. Now we need to live with the end in mind. That there is a moment of glory. There is a moment where God makes us like Jesus Christ. See, for many of us, there is a temptation to declare that nothing makes sense without understanding the full length of the story. I think about movies. If you ever watch a movie? Don't you notice that in the middle of the movie, they create some sort of tension? Every movie has it where they create some sort of tension that leaves us wondering what's going to happen next. It creates some sort of tension that leaves us wondering, God, what are you doing? What is happening in the movie? We have this tension in our lives. God, what are you doing? We feel in the movie of our lives What happens? We don't declare, I just don't know. I don't declare the verdict without understanding the story. I I declare the verdict after I see the end. What happens? Paul here in Romans 8 says, here's the end. That's what Joseph came to know. Joseph said, do I stand in the place of God? What you meant for evil, now I know the end. The end is what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. The movie, the tension, the move of the script, when we see the end, it all comes back and the plot makes sense in our lives. Don't be too quick to make a verdict about what you're walking through. Don't be cr- too quick to make a statement that says, well, God, is just done. No, no. instead, live with the end in mind. We know that God is going to do this. He is going to conform us to the image of his son. And because of that, he is working all things together for good. We have a God who is sovereign. We have a God who is good. We have a God who is better. We have a God that fulfills his purpose in you. Do you stand in the place of God? Is God your greatest dreams? In this passage, is Christ my greatest dream. Christ, my dream is to be like you. My dream is to be like you. You know, when I was younger, uh, my mom would take me to this park. Uh, It was a local city park, and in that park, they had this well. And at the time, this this big well that's kind of beautiful, and uh, it had this this hole with a bucket that you wouldn't use the bucket or anything, but you could look down the well and see the water. And what people would do is they would toss money into the well. And it was considered a wishing well. You would toss money in and you would make a wish. You, you probably have seen those if you've been in parks or uh, maybe even uh, fountains that people toss money into. And the idea would you, you would toss money and make a wish. And whenever, whenever we would go to that park, we would always pause and I would take some money and I would throw it into the well and I would make a wish. And I remember when I was. Uh, about six years old, five years old, somewhere in that time frame. I remember going to the park, and I remember wishing, as I'm getting ready to throw this coin in, I remember wishing if I could just have this, this toy. And I remember tossing the money in and thought, okay, now it's gonna come true. I, 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 I wished on this well, on the money I'm sending, that I'll get this toy. Of course, it never came. <laughs> The uh, so way never came. Now, eventually you realize it's just a wishing well. It's just meant to, to get money for the local parks, I guess. But for some of us, this is the way we view our dreams. Gotta just dream life would be like this. Gotta just dream that this would happen. Gotta just dream that this would happen. Gotta just dream that this. Now, I'm not telling you don't dream. No, 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 that's not the purpose of the series. Go ahead, dream, your bi- dream a big dream. Do your work, lots of it. But never, never presume that you're doing this life on your own. Never presume that your dreams are greater than God's. Never presume that God is not doing a work in the midst that you don't understand fully, but it is going to be good. And so dream, but surrender. Dream, but allow God to kill that dream to bring about his great glory. Does your dream stand in the place of God? Does your dream stand in the place of God or is God working his good in and through your life? Christ is above all hopes, all dreams, and all aspirations. Would you bow with me as we pray? If you're here and you don't know Christ, you're pursuing this dream that will never come, take a moment and right now you can go right in that prayer room, that prayer chat, and there's somebody willing and wanting to pray with you. Just click on prayer, and we love to connect with you. Right now, if you're watching this, you're listening to this, and you just want to talk to somebody, or maybe right now you know Christ, but you just need some prayer about the journey you're going through, now would be the time to engage. Just say, you know what, I would like to ask for prayer. You can do that in the chat, or you can go to a private chat in prayer with somebody who's there and ready, one of our staff, one of our leaders, who's ready to pray with you. Today could be the day of your salvation. Today could be the day where God exchanges your dream for the dream of his glory. God, I want to thank you for your word. God, I need this reminder because so often in life I'm pursuing this dream, this dream that I have about life, this dream that's focused on me, that's egocentric. God, what you have to do is you have to empty us of that dream. And you empty us of that dream by, by killing the dream. Sometimes it's in pain, sometimes it's in circumstance, Sometimes it's in failed relationships, you kill the dream. But in the end, you're not killing the dream to hurt us. You're killing the dream to bring about a greater dream. And Romans tells us the greater dream is that we get to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus, that we get to be conformed in your likeness. And so, God, may we surrender. May we not hold on to those dreams that we have about life with closed fists, with white knuckles. But may we open our hands and say, God, we want your good above all else. Lord, Joseph came to understand that. What his brothers meant for evil, that he could never have seen as good, now could be considered good. Lord, he he was able to say, do I stand in the place of God? When they're bowing before him, and he could have said, see, I told you. No, he says, do I stand in the place of God? And Lord, we don't want to stand in your place in our dreams, no. We want your dream to be what our dream is about. The dream of glory, because we get to become like Jesus. May we view our families that way. May we view our marriages that way. May we view our kids that way. May we view our work that way. May we see how it's conforming us to the image of something greater. May our hope be set in your will. May our prayers be honest, and yet our surrender be willing. And God, may we live with the end game in mind, the long view of one day when our faith will be sight and our dreams will be beyond what we could ever imagine with you. In your name, Jesus Christ, our Savior. In your name.